Welcome to Pop Psych 101, where we, licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad and licensed psychologist Dr. Haley Roberts, break down and analyze how mental health is represented in movies, shows, books, and across the pop culture and social media landscape. We will determine what lines up with real life and what is just pop culture fantasy. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad, here with my co-host, Dr. Haley Roberts, and introducing uh, our guest for this episode, Dr. Shane Sines. Haley, Shane, thrilled to have you guys today. Hello. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So, um... Uh, Shane, it's all right if we call you Shane, even though we have two doctors here today. Um, yeah. Shane, uh, let's we'll just do a quick introduction. You are a clinical and sports psychologist, is that right? That's right. Yeah. So I'm a I'm a full time staff psychologist at University of the Pacific, counseling and psychological services in Stockton, California, and I also have a, my own private practice in Davis. Fantastic. Well, very appropriate because today we are going to be covering the HBO documentary, The Weight of Gold. Um, so we're going to get into the doc, but as always, we uh, have a little bit of a, uh, just kind of check in with ourselves. Um, Haley, you said you had a question, which I think is going to end up being very appropriate for today's conversation. Yeah. Um, the question that I came up with was, is there a dream or um, a goal that you had as a kid that either went somewhere or didn't go somewhere? Yeah. Do you have a dream? Did you have a dream? <laughs> <laughs> uh sure yeah so i absolutely had a dream um i wanted to be a professional basketball player when i grew up and then my body didn't quite cooperate with that goal <laughs> uh, i did i had i eventually had a growth spurt but i was about five foot nine till the summer between sophomore and junior year of high school and by then i had not made any basketball teams and it was kind of too late but then i hit about six one junior year so, you know, junior year through college, I got to play like intramurals and stuff. And, um, you know, and then I traded my athletic dreams in for uh, my therapy dreams, which I'm happy to have mostly met. Right. Um, <laughs> but I have to tell one quick story. And that is when I was a little kid at a, a basketball summer camp, sports camp kind of thing. We were doing like a dribbling tutorial. Right. So. Um, we were all, all the kids were in a circle and this, our teacher for the day was in the middle of the circle doing his cool dribbling moves. And he would throw the ball to someone on the outside of the circle and you had to come to the middle of the circle and do a dribbling move that you had learned. Oh no. So, and I'm like, I don't know, 10. Um, so the ball gets thrown in between me and my, one of my close friends who was with, and my close friend dives out of the way of the ball. Um, and I'm being the nice friend. I'm like, oh, let me go get the ball for you, friend. I go get the ball <laughs> and I go to hand it to him and he does the hands up like it wasn't to me. Obviously, you have the ball. You go do the circle of death and, and do your dribble. <laughs> oh, no. um, and so, of course, uh, I was like, yeah, sure. Um, and I don't know where this idea came from, but I stood in the middle of the circle. I threw the ball up high in the air. Um, I tried to do a backwards somersault and clap and then catch the ball. And 
the ball wasn't there, obviously, and I I can still hear the laughter at all of the kids in the circle uh, at me. It was not with me because no. I thought at the very least I had done something cool, but no, it was just incredibly embarrassing. Which and and you know I maybe we'll talk about this stuff, but like at for me this was like the height of competition. It was like <laughs> a summer camp basketball league. Um, so yeah, and that memory hasn't been seared uh, into my brain at all, and I definitely don't ever have nightmares about it. Um, <laughs> so dreams turned into nightmares over the course of the the years for me, for sure. Um, but I'd love to hear how you guys uh, hopefully had better dream experiences than I did. I'm I'm definitely laughing with you. <laughs> I think for me, it's a little bit of both. <laughs> Okay. Um, I definitely think that that experience actually is very similar to some of the things that were talked about in this documentary. So, you know, we'll be able to compare those two things. Maybe Shane can help me. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely. How about you, Shane? Um, I, you know, it's so funny. I wanted to be an, I wanted to be a doctor. So I wanted to be a medical doctor, though. I wanted to be an anesthesiologist. And so, um, I got to college, UC Santa Cruz, took my first chem class, and had no idea what the professor was talking about. <laughs> and it was from that moment on, I knew I could no longer be pre-med. And, uh, and then, you know, got, got the opportunity to, to try my hands at business and film. And then um, I had a, this really wonderful TA who said, you keep, you keep uh, writing about um, these characters in this film, like as if they're real people. You, you should really consider psychology and uh, just haven't looked back since. Cool. Wow. Yeah. That's like such a cool origin story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it kind of is my origin story. <laughs> well, you found a way to be a doctor, maybe not a medical one, but you did it. Yeah. Yes, I did. Totally counts. You get, yeah. you have the letters. <laughs> you, you do. That's funny. Um, for me, the original idea that I had was I always wanted to be like a performer of some kind, acting usually. And then like as I got older, that kind of molded more into a comedy thing. But I still really love acting. Um, and so now I just consume as much comedy as possible. And as we were talking, I remembered for a long time growing up, I had my eye on the Olympics as a um, as a track athlete because I got gold in some like statewide championships and things like that um, until I hit college or high school and then like puberty hit and I was lazy and I like hate training. I love the running and I love the winning and I'm very fast, but the training for it was just I didn't have the personality for it at all. So the intense focus that all the athletes we're going to talk about today had, I did not. <laughs> um, and so that dream just kind of fizzled. And then senior year in high school, I was like, if I never run again, I won't be upset. And I didn't even do track my senior year. So I forgot about that. But yeah, so I either wanted to be a performer of one kind or another. And instead, I didn't I don't know and said I work with performers sometimes <laughs> yeah well you've still managed to reach an audience yeah 
This is so, definitely, you know. yeah, I think this is definitely a way for me to use the knowledge and information that I have in my career and channel it into that like performer's soul of mine. <laughs> and you also do some comedy, I understand. Um, yeah, I've done odds and ends here and there, like yeah. okay. improv classes and things like that. Yeah, I love comedy, so I consume it in so many different forms all the time. Um, including like working for a local comedy club because I realized I was spending a lot of my money there. And so I was like, Hey, how would I help you? And you pay me to come to your shows. <laughs> so, yeah. So one way or another, we've all been kind of in and around the things we wanted to do. Yeah. It's, that's fascinating. And, and obviously in stark contrast to some of the people we're going to be talking about today, um, but before we get into uh, the weight of gold, time for a quick break. Hey everyone, Ryan here. No ad this week, but a quick request. We would love to know where you follow us. So if you wouldn't mind taking 10 seconds while you're listening to today's episode, reach out to us on your social media of choice. Say hi, say what's up, request an episode topic. We would love to hear from you. And now back to the episode. Pop Psych 101 discusses mental health as it is portrayed in pop culture media. And because of this, we often cover sensitive topics that can be triggering for some listeners. We also delve into the characters and plots of these stories, and therefore, spoilers abound. So please, use your discretion as you listen to the rest of the episode. The Weight of Gold is an HBO sports documentary exploring the mental health challenges that Olympic athletes often face. The film comes during a time when the COVID-19 pandemic has postponed the 2020 Tokyo Games, the first such postponement in Olympic history, and greatly exacerbated mental health issues. Uh, so the film covers uh, several prominent Olympians, including Michael Phelps, Apollo Ono, Sean White, Lolo Jones, Gracie Gold, Katie Ulander, Cody Miller, uh, David Budia, Jeremy Bloom, Sasha Cohen, and posthumously, uh, Stephen Holcomb. And, uh, Jared Peterson. So we go through a, a list of athletes that are dealing with obviously a present loss, but we're going through a whole list of, of mental health issues. So Shane, I'd love to kind of start off with you because this is, you know, such a big story, but it does have very small beginnings. Like we, we talked about in the intro, um, kind of what our dreams were and probably what these Olympic athletes' dreams were, were probably not that different from our own. Yeah, I, absolutely. And, and you know, like, that's also, um, you know, Michael Phelps says, like, you like to think that you're unique. And then until you realize we all kind of have those same dreams, like, I want to go compete at the Olympics. Like, I want to go win a gold medal. I want to represent my country. And I think that, you know, when I, when I at least conceptualize working with athletes, one of the things that um, I like to just keep in the forefront of my mind is that an athlete's first love, like truly, before they even start, you know, adolescence, start dating, start um, getting into like that romantic type of uh, love, it really like their sport is that first love that they fall for. They, uh, they, you know, they get that first rush. They, they recognize like this is what I want to do, mm -hmm. and they invest that that time in, uh, you know, honing those skills day in and day out. Yeah. 
Yeah. Do you think that the age with which um, athletes start pursuing their sport plays a role in how intensely, because as you were describing it as a first love, I was thinking, you know, when teenagers fall in love, it's very different than when like 20 year olds fall in love. So is there like a similar connection to their sport? Do you think? I I do think it, it, um, it, it probably develops in the same way. I mean, mm-hmm. like when we think about development, right, the lifespan, it is sort of like it starts, the world starts very small and then it gets mm-hmm. very big. We know this as, yeah. as mental health professionals. And so I think it, it has to start small. At some level, there has to be, I like this and I'm doing well at this. Mm-hmm. And then it, and then it expands. Right. Mm-hmm. And so in, in a way it does kind of start off like with a, you know, a puppy love, like, Oh, look at, mm-hmm. look at them. It's cute mm-hmm. when they like wear their big ski helmet or something <laughs> like that. And then, and then you start to learn the nuances, right? Like mm-hmm. Haley, you talked about training, mm-hmm. right? Like performance is also very different than the training, mm-hmm. right? And the type of investment that you need to have in the outcomes that you want to see, right? Yeah. Just like a relationship, mm-hmm. you you put in the the hard work so that you can enjoy the the spoils of you know in essence the love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, but but one of the big things that we see consistently with these athletes is how fleeting the in, the enjoyable moments are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right? You know, whether it's the sort of temporary nature of the Olympics, right? It's just these two weeks every four years. Um, right. um, or even in the case of, of athletes who are, you know, competing more consistently, you know, a championship or a significant competition and then followed by the off season. So it's like, I have to imagine that that's a challenge, right? Whether it's in in validation or in the sort of constant having to motivate themselves to work as hard as they do. That's sort of a theme that comes Mm -hmm. up as well. Because, you know, (laughs) if the love is not giving you that return on investment, I have to imagine that that's a difficult thing to, to constantly be committing yourself to. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it is, it tends to be a one, a one-sided love, right? Like we all have our, our sports, our um, hobbies that we fall in love with. And at the end of the day, what I often say to athletes who are uh, approaching retirement or, or in retirement, like the sport always wins. It's undefeated, right? Like our mm-hmm. bodies can't handle it anymore. Um, we've, as, as you both mentioned, like you kind of, maybe the joy fizzles out. Mm-hmm. We can't, we can't do that grind day in and day out or people find other things that they, uh, are passionate about and it's just mm-hmm. time to, to move on. Yeah. I, that, as we were kind of talking about that, that made me think of one of the women on the documentary. She was a hurdler and a bobsledder, um, and almost mm-hmm. like the four years is, it's almost as though the four years was too much time for her. So she broke it down into two years, right? Like, okay, I'll do a summer sport and I'll do a winter sport. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I, uh, it was really cool seeing Lolo Jones, um, in the documentary, just because you talk about like, you know, that, that skill level of, of sprinting and and hurdling and then applying it to a sport that, if I remember correctly, I don't think that she ever did bobsledding prior to that. And so to be able to even just transition 
that level of skill to a, a completely new sport was was really cool to see and also at the same time it, it didn't last long right yeah. like uh i think she mentioned in the documentary like most track and field athletes only make it to one games and so yeah. even thinking like that she was able to represent the u.s in three games across both the summer and the winter is is really really incredible yeah yeah and her story in particular uh stuck with me um she told a story of she had to work you know and a lot of the athletes do um they had to basically work second jobs to to maintain their mm-hmm. um their training schedule their lifestyle because you know they're not getting paid any sort of significant wages just for for being olympians mm-hmm. and she was working a juice counter at a gym and her mm-hmm. hurdling competition was on the tv at the gym right um right. and i have to imagine that there's i don't know if it's dissonance or whatever it's not, there's there's this, this experience between I am capable of these high highs, and yet I don't get to have that experience all the time. Um, and sort of right. whether that's the come down after the Olympics, or just you know the the sort of intensity and adrenaline and ecstasy of that heights of competition, and then the non-competition life, right? And we both referenced the right. quote by Sean White that's along these lines as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that. When you think about the the two weeks, right? And I, I took Sean White's quote at the beginning, right? This is the highest level there is. It doesn't get any higher than this. Mm-hmm. This is the Olympics. That's it. These athletes have worked their entire lives for this moment. And that's why they go to the greatest lengths to try and win. Mm-hmm. I just remember being awestruck by that. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like how powerful to... to work towards something so grandiose, grand. Yeah. And the, I like, I like the word dissonance. Like mm-hmm. you could be there and also be working at a Home Depot, like working at a, at a yeah. smoothie bar in the gym. And, and Apollo Ono also um, talked about this. He, he used it a lot briefer. He's like 10 years of training for 40 seconds of competition. Yeah. yeah. Like, mind-blowing when you think mm-hmm. about the level of preparation the investment and sometimes you are fortunate to be you know sponsored and and have everything covered and then other times you if you don't meddle the sport is gone right like what just an immense amount of pressure and sometimes if you don't get the gold medal right like right. um bronze you almost aren't going to be known silver maybe depending on how intense of a like race or competition it was um gold you're more likely but even then like a year and a half later if you only got one gold chances of being remembered pretty pretty low and and even just i just want to even add on to that real quick like even to qualify for the olympics like yes that's that's what's the best of the best (laughs) You're already at this level yeah. and you have to compete in world championships, which is often about a year or two years before you then have to go into Olympic qualifying. Like there are so many even steps to even get to that point that I, mm-hmm. I thought the documentary I couldn't even get into, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Cause some of them, they, they talk about even as kids, 
that being a specific goal. Like, um, I think it was one of the figure skaters was like, oh, you know, we were five, six or seven or eight. And like, we were already in the pipeline for Olympics. And I just can't Uh fathom that. Um, Because if you think about some of those, you know, especially things like figure skating and gymnastics, where they're expected to compete at those incredibly young ages. Yeah, I don't know. It's, you know, I, I think the thing that brings me back to, you know, uh, the work that I do with mostly mostly non-athletes, you know, one of the mm-hmm. things that kind of jumped out is, you know, the, the difference between obviously not just victory and defeat, but, you know, your whole like sense of self being wrapped up mm-hmm. in, in that victory or defeat, right? And it just automatically lends itself towards black and white thinking of either I, I won, which is what I was supposed to do, or I failed, right? And, you know, even working with, you know, college athletes, um, high school athletes, mm-hmm. um, non-athletes, where if they get too wrapped up in, if people get too wrapped up in how they see themselves or the role that they sort of most identify mm-hmm. with, that it can kind of lead to some of these devastating um, consequences. Right. I mean, and, and even um, as we saw in the case with Stephen Holcomb, right? Like, mm-hmm. even winning gold doesn't prevent right these extreme consequences. Mm-hmm. And so, I even even just to take it a step back, yeah, I had a um, a sports psych professor who even who used to say, "Life is a performance." Mm-hmm. And so, so when we're talking about like athletes versus non-athletes, I would say, yeah, there's a there's a difference of approach. Like you want to, you know, I encourage professionals who aren't as familiar with athletes to really consider sport as like an extra cultural identity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even within that, like if we say, okay, someone's an athlete, even wanting to understand what are the cultural contexts within that different sport, right? Like what are the terms? What are the um, what are the rules of the game? I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've like worked in the sport that I'm like, yeah, I've, I think I've seen it. Um, and like needing to watch hours of YouTube clips of like, what is this rule? And, and then, so then I could, I could understand, like, I understand performance, but like, I also want to understand what are some of the challenges, the unique challenges that the coaches face, yeah. the, the athletes face. Yeah. Um, but then also considering like, non-athletes consider things in black and white as well right like i didn't i didn't get um the job promotion that i want so now now i'm a i'm a failure at what i do and so i i think that in some instances there is that uh unique type of work that that really wanting to to approach athletics and then also in the same in that same way of thinking like there um michael phelps at the end just says we're human yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's like the best way to say like, yeah, like people are human athletes, mm-hmm. although they're doing incredible things at the end of the day, they're human. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important point here um, where when he says that, if you are not in this culture, right, the sports culture that you were speaking to, you go like, yeah, well, of course you are. If you are in that sport culture, <laughs> right. you go Yes, please realize that we are human because the um the figure skater who whose last name is Gold, which is funny in its own sense, um what she said was 
when I can like had suicidal ideation, I didn't want to die. I just wanted to live again and to escape the sort of things she was experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. Because in this culture, you're not allowed to be human. You have to be a, a like robot that gets stronger and faster and runs harder and plays more. And she even spoke to like when she would slow down and say like, Hey, I have some human problems. They'd be like, Oh, well you can find a therapist in your area. But if she had like, you know, robot problems or like athlete problems they're like here's everything you could ever need to treat this we have the numbers we have the access we have the resources totally and and so that's that um there's a unique uh distinction between like performance specialists and then sport psychologists so the term psychologist is actually owned by clinical and counseling psychologists so you have to be a licensed uh doctoral level uh, clinical counseling or school psychologist to be able to use that term. Um, high performance or master performance experts often have their PhDs in some type of sport and performance psychology, uh, whether it be uh, kinesiology, exercise and performance psychology. So these are very bright, well-adept uh, professionals who know performance in and out. The difference is they may not be licensed um, clinicians, like licensed therapists, licensed psychologists. Mm -hmm. And um, what I will say is that the USOPC, the Olympic and Paralympic Committee, has actually, um, in the last few months, hired a director of mental health, um, Dr. Uh, Jessica Bartley, who actually, Haley, is a professor at the Graduate School of where we met. And then um, they've also hired two um, associate directors as well. And so they they have um, taken steps. There's also a mental health registry, which I'm on, and I know a a number of uh, really wonderful professionals are on as well. So um, although it has, you know, like I thought that they covered it really well in the, like addressing robot problems versus human problems and like the the obstacles along the way, it is really wonderful to see that they are responding proactively. And there's, you, I was just on the, the website today. You can find all the resources for mental health as well. Oh, great. That's excellent. Cause I had mm-hmm. a thought um, as I was watching the part where kind of near the end where the athletes were kind of saying like, we need to step up and make this a conversation. And I said like, yes, for the general public, it's great if the athletes do it. However, if the, Olympic committee doesn't like actually support it, then it's a problem, right? Like, you know, sometimes in grad school, especially in psychology and that you get this like message of self-care, but then also when you need a little bit of self-care in the program, that's not structured for you, right? It's you, there's more tests and more projects and there's not enough time. And, um, and I was like, that if the U.S. Olympic Committee or, or Olympic committees across the board don't put in structure for these athletes, it doesn't matter how much they talk about how much they need it. So I'm so grateful that you're saying that they actually are actively taking these steps. That's wonderful. Absolutely. And I do think that it's, um, we, you know, I, I hope that it will start to show dividends moving forward that this is is how it maybe historically has been and that of course like there starts to be some proactive approaches as opposed to reactive as there were 
a lot of you know statements regarding that of like how, how many more how, how yes. much more does this need to worsen yeah i think that's that's the thing that i was shocked by was it really felt like all these athletes were sort of isolated in their experiences um you know because you think with the olympics it's like team usa it's like this Right. monolith of an of an organization that must have just unlimited resources and and they maybe they do to a certain extent um but it's applying those resources in a way that actually benefits an issue like this mental health um that is a little bit more complex and, and nuanced and i was also sort of thinking about the difference between you know some of these individual athletes versus the team athletes right mm -hmm. because you think about the difference between, you know, being a part of Team USA Basketball, where, mm -hmm. you know, not only is it uh, built in that you have probably multiple coaches and, and obviously teammates and all these sorts of things versus being a Michael Phelps or, or some of the figure skaters where it's, you're not, I mean, you're, you're still on Team USA, but people are not rooting for Team USA Basketball. They are rooting for you, Michael Phelps, right? Yeah. And right. I just have to imagine that the, the pressure really gets intensified and the sort of relationship to the overall organization is probably slightly different as well, whether you're individual yeah. versus a team sport athlete. And there's probably all sorts of um, layers to those experiences as well. But, but that was really one of my big takeaways is that I was surprised by how isolated it seemed like they were, especially when they were like in the midst of competition. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Because right. then your teammates are also your competitors in those individual sports. Sure, absolutely. Which is, you know, and then you take like swimming and, and track where you have relays and you have individual events. And so literally like in some yeah. events, you guys are working together to get the gold. And then in the next event, you guys are racing against each other, one of you hoping to get the gold. And, and that is a different experience than like, an entire basketball team who are clearly all on the same page about their direction together. Yeah. And, and I think too, um, you even, you even think about like why, you know, uniforms, right. I know, I know it sounds super random mm -hmm. and arbitrary, but it's like Michael Phelps is literally in a speedo. Mm -hmm. And so we see his face. We know what he looks like. Like if I was walking down mm -hmm. the street, I would uh -huh. say, Oh, that's, that's Michael Phelps. I, I recognize this. I can't say that about every every other athlete, you know, yeah. if they have a helmet on or if I'm not, swimming as often gets a lot of uh, publicity mm -hmm. and coverage. Um, and so even, and then Team USA Basketball, it's often made up of NBA and WNBA mm -hmm. superstars. So it's like, I've seen their faces more and more and more. Mm -hmm. And then of course, like with the, um, you know, the approach of different sports, like whether it be individual and then like kind of that uh, almost like code switching a little bit. Like mm -hmm. um, what's so interesting is like, you know, when I've worked with teams who where that's like a part of it, it's they're they're part of the team, right? Mm -hmm. Like, of course they want that, that individual success for themselves. And a mm -hmm. lot of times, like they're also the same ones, like, cheering them on and you know wanting that there is that level of camaraderie for sure yeah, yeah and the, the the fame of all this i think really jumped out to me as well right and i think you you hit on that chain where you know the difference between these sort of world famous uh athletes you know mm -hmm. even if it's just world famous for 
like those six weeks over the summer. It's a very intense fame experience. And mm -hmm. then to go from that to then, you know, anonymity, which I'm sure some of them are very grateful for, but then <laughs> for some of them, for, for in other cases, it's, you know, everyone wants to know who you are and get your autograph and interview on their TV show to, you know, you're on the subway and nobody knows who you are. And, 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 and again, maybe that's a good thing, but, but the sort of, uh, whiplash that you probably get from that sort of experience has got to be unsettling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, they, they covered it really well. I thought in the documentary of yeah. like, I'm America's sweetheart. And then like, nobody knows who I am unless you really follow skating right. or, or yeah. um, skeleton or right. Yeah. Like, and I thought that was really well said, like, yeah, I'm sure a lot of them are very grateful to just be like, I just want to chill. Yeah. But there's also a lot of security that comes with that fame and that notoriety of mm -hmm. Apollo Ono talking about it really well. Like, hey, like, get all the sponsors you can, because most of the time, these athletes are in debt, like, like mm -hmm. some really, some realistic concerns of like, security, career, post-retire, during, uh, during your uh sports career but then also post-retirement mm -hmm. um you know if you don't win gold no speaking engagements no book deals no no additional sponsorships like paying back uh like the training you know the loans yeah. that you took out or paying back your family for for this and so there's definitely a lot to be said about the both and of it all like fame can also bring a lot of beneficial things and it can also be the obstacle of like that intense whiplash of going back kind of into being um, uh, just like a, a Joe Schmo, if you will. Yeah. Well, and I think it was, was it Bodie Smith or yeah. Who's Miller. like spoke about Bodie Miller. Yeah. Miller. Yeah. I was like, why am I saying there? Oh, I'm thinking of a different athlete. Um, but um, where he spoke about um, the fame Right. And with him, they knew who he was day to day, they being the media. The media knew who he was day to day. However, they built up this character. Right. And it worked for him in terms of getting speaking engagements and, you know, sponsorships and things like that, which they need. They need those to make money. However, as soon as something happened, they were like, pulled the carpet out from under him and they're like here's you know the story of this kid um and him kind of being like i wish they had kind of just left me alone um but it's almost the sense of like when it's good it's really really good but when it's not it's really bad yeah i mean and that that also speaks to like the love of the performance right that the love of like there's no there's no greater high than like you know, being there, opening ceremony, representing yeah. Team USA, and then it's like, you know, the idea that, and I'm a huge late late night fan. Um, you know, the idea of like kicking kicking our fellow U.S. citizens while they're down. Yeah. Um, you know, like, and then this idea of just kind of getting dragged through the coals. Like, and I I thought it was so interesting when he's like, yeah, I had that lower Q rating than like after Tyson bit. Holyfield's yeah. ear off and I, I'm sitting there going like wow like this is 
this is some real deal stuff. Like, and I think that it's, it's not, it's not that like he did anything wrong so much as like, it, I think it also the, the pressure of representing one's country, right? Like when we talk about like, if you're a, a boxer, you, you are representing, you know, like the different sponsors and your, and your gym and all that stuff, but you are yourself. And it's like, yeah. but there is that, as sort of, um, expectation that's that all of them talked about like you are team usa mm-hmm. you get held standard and you you better meet it you better represent us well and, and that means getting gold yeah right because they show all those sort of news clippings of you know so and so flames out or so and so fails or so and so you know doesn't show up yeah. um yeah so, so you have that failure and then you have the you know, I mean, it's the, everything is under a, a microscope where, you know, whether it's, um, you know, getting pictures taken of you, um, you know, having just normal, I say normal, but, you know, just the sorts of negative life experiences that anyone could mm-hmm. have, right? Yep. Whether that's a loss or relationship issues or substance issues or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. And that getting magnified to the point of being on tabloids and, you know, jokes on uh, tonight shows and things like that. And it's, you know, obviously the pressure is crazy, but then for that to be for, for regular mistakes, regular life mistakes to be presented on a world stage Mm -hmm. is, is something that I have to imagine is so hard to recover from. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, completely aside from the performance aspects of, right. of life, right? Right. I I think um, I was particularly moved when Lolo Jones talked about hitting her hurdle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and just saying like I've hit a hurdle three times in my life, yeah. and and just sitting there and going, my immediate thought is like, God, please don't let it be during the gold like the finals, yeah. and of course, right, and then. And then, like, you know, it, I'm not one to, to, I don't like to diagnose anybody, especially, uh, yep. like, who I'm not meeting with. Mm-hmm. But when she talked about, like, washing her dishes and then just freezing, it's like, wow, that's that's a trauma response. Yeah. Like, fight, flight, or freeze. Mm-hmm. And this idea of, like, I'm just replaying it over and over in my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of, like, how painful yeah. that that must be to just feel like that one moment defines you more than being a friend, being mm-hmm. a teammate, being a, one of the world's greatest athletes for, yeah. for her um, and in multiple sports, right? Like yeah. um, just how, how painful that, that could be to be defined by that one instance. Well, and not only that, but to recover from that, I mean, in, in a non-Olympic athlete context, you know, we would say, uh, well, okay, we have to have uh, sort of more generalized experiences. We have to kind of, you know, help you, uh, you know, if you were doing exposure therapy, you know, if you were, it was, okay, can we kind of recreate, you know, ability to, um, to see yourself as competent in these circumstances, but there's no recreating an Olympic gold uh you know once in a lifetime experience because once it's once it's that's the stakes you know there's there is nothing else you know that's the only opportunity that these people sometimes are ever going to get in their lifetimes to perform at that level and i think that 
piece that she said where she spoke about hitting the hurdle and she's like, I've done it three times in my life. And then she said, and now I'm someone who hits hurdles. And that speaks to this identity piece, which is like, no, she's not a hurdler who happened to hit a hurdle during a gold run. No, she is someone who hits hurdles. And I think that speaks so clearly to how these athletes where Michael Phelps said, I was not only focused, I got over-focused and then I got intense about my over-focus. And he kind of spoke about how his whole world, um, earlier, Shane, you spoke about how like in development, your world starts out really small and then it like gets big as you get older. With this, these athletes, Mm -hmm. it doesn't really get bigger. It stays focused on this one thing and then that becomes the whole thing. And then suddenly it goes away because either you get injured or you retire or something like that. And then, and then what? Right. 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 I mean, beautifully said, right. Like you get to this moment, it happens, right. Hopefully it happens the way that you want it to go, but it happens. And then what's left? Yeah. 10 years to 40 seconds. I mean, like, I just keep replaying that up. Apollo Ono quote. Mm -hmm. And I think as much as like we, you know, it would be great to be able to recreate an Olympics and do exposure therapy. It's like, Mm -hmm. you really, I, in my opinion, like you got to create meaning outside of the track, create Mm -hmm. meaning outside of the pool, the gym. And so really what it boils down to is in essence, what lessons can I take from my performances, uh-huh. right? There's being an Olympic athlete, there's got to be a whole lot of success, mm-hmm. right? Like even just getting to that team, there's got to be a lot of success. So, you know, hard work, diligence, persistence, mm-hmm. um, commitment, um, what it takes to perfect a craft, and then translating that to business. There's a lot of sports psychologists who are former professional athlete Mm -hmm. um they they're they could even in their retirement they could probably bench and outrun me at at my physical (laughs) um and and knowing that like there is so much useful information to then take and apply elsewhere right there is so much inherent value for their ability as an athlete to then translate into so many other areas which I think historically, we haven't really talked about that. It's, yeah. I think, um, again, I keep going to Apollo Ono. He had so many great lines in this, in this yeah. uh, documentary where he's like, extract the most from you and then conveyor belt, right? Like yeah. this idea of like, there's going to be someone behind you who's fitter, better, faster, stronger, younger, more appealing, mm-hmm. um, who's going to take your spot. And it's like, so if you you know, not that it has to be explicitly transactional, this experience, but knowing that it's just like in anything, it's finite Mm -hmm. and that there's lessons to be taken and applied elsewhere because to retire at like, right? Like most, most gymnasts retire in their early twenties, like mind blowing, Uh right? Like to hit their peak. Yeah. Hit their peak. Yeah. Tara Lipinski, like, retired at like 16 or something wild like that. (laughs) At least she, you know, 
maybe was young enough to with support I'm sure like create a new identity for herself but so a question that I actually have as you were speaking about that is you kind of spoke to it like around retiring um mm-hmm. my question is is there a way to be more balanced while you're an athlete at this level and I think that's important at this level or does that take away from the focus that gets them to that level? That's a really good question. Um, I would say yes and no. I mean, it's such a, it's such a, it depends, it depends, (laughs) but like, I think it's an underrated quote, but it's a quote that like just kind of shook me. Mm-hmm. When Michael Phelps, I think in the beginning when he's talking about COVID and delaying the the games, and he goes, "This is the first Olympic Games I won't be a part of since I was 11," and I'm sitting there going, "All right, this dude is like you know 20 years older. His first games mm-hmm. was in 04. I remember watching. He was 15. Like, oh man, okay." And, and then even just thinking that is like to make a games, you have to be competing. Mm-hmm. You have to go to worlds you have to do the olympic qualifiers you have to mm-hmm. you have to also make sure that you are peaking in your peak yeah. in your peak physical condition at each of these races so that you know that you're also qualifying uh-huh. and so in a way yes you want to make sure that there's room for expanding mm-hmm. right whether that be if you're you know taking college classes you know mm-hmm. taking some time off but it's like there's no days off yeah there's no there's no like you know especially like I'm gonna just throw out like wrestling for example like you are in a particular weight class so like you got to make sure you're meeting that weight you know boxing the same way um in a way it's like there of course there's an opportunity maybe to expand more than just being an athlete and also like to commit yourself to that level of competition, mm-hmm. I'd be hard pressed to say like there's much room for anything else. Yeah, that's such a tough place, right? Because it's what they need. Yeah, Sasha, I think it was a Sasha Cohen that said, you know, that they either couldn't or could, like, couldn't afford to have outside interests or just didn't ever develop outside interests, right? Right. And it really makes makes me think like. Is there, is there a mentally healthy way to become, and I'm sure that there is, and, and maybe this is, this is, you know, the sort of the work, right? Um, is there a mentally healthy way to become what is essentially an obsessive athlete and then, you know, healthily retire from that? You know, it, it just, it feels like a sort of, uh, like you have to find this this extreme version of whether it's focus or performance um, or dedication, commitment, but then also be able to detach from that. I just feel like that takes so much, um, I don't know if we would call it willpower or it mm-hmm. certainly takes support, but it just yeah. feels like something that's in some ways unnatural to what is healthy for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so this is what I often tell athletes, right? Like anything that we talk about that's going to help 
is what I call simple, but not easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Hey, just focus on, on other areas of your life and you'll feel better. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, uh, with what time, pal? Like, thanks, or, Doc. Like, yeah. yeah thanks, thanks, Doc. Yeah. Really helpful. Yeah. Um, and so, but it's it's really like I I think the the simple but not easy aspect is when she was saying that like friends got in the way, school got in the way, family got in the way. Like, it is really working to flip that. That it's like those aren't obstacles to hurdle or avoid. Mm-hmm. Developing those aspects of one's life could make your performance better better yeah right better like like not ruin it maybe not even make it the same but like you know when i'm working with like some you know definitely like not olympic level athletes but um like you know can afford to take a rest day i'm like enjoy your rest day (laughs) like like work hard and then recover because if we there's research to support that even if you do anything that's too like that's supposed to be good for you, like going to the gym and working out, it actually is a it's a J curve. So it increases your immune system only to a certain point. If you overexert your uh-huh. your immune system actually starts to go down. And so when you think about like mm-hmm. active recovery, it's important to think like how mm-hmm. that could actually improve your performance, even though it feels counterintuitive. Yeah. And those values-based choices that I'm always of course. spurting about here. <laughs> yeah, always go back to the values. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like take what seems like a step back in order to take three steps forward. Because I think like, was it Lolo whose dad died? Was that who it was? Uh, Katie Ulinger. Oh, Ulander. It was Ulander whose dad mm-hmm. died. Um, it almost seems from the way that she spoke about it. And again, I don't know her. I've never worked with her, so I don't know for sure, but it almost seems that her relationship with that loss mm-hmm. might've held her back in some ways with her training because she, her, that's where her heart was. And that's where her, where her mind was with her dad. Um, but when she checked in with her coach about like, Hey, can I, should I go back? The coach was like, no, the sport relies on you. Um, and so she didn't go and that had to have been so hard for her. Yeah. I mean, that, that was, there was a lot of stuff that was particularly painful to watch. And I think that that's, we're all, we're all mental health professionals. Like we're empathetic people. Like it's not, it doesn't take very much for me to be like, good luck trying to stop me from going to my father's funeral. Um, and also Uh like, when you feel that sort of like responsibility, I, I also, I was sitting there going like, what a, what a painful experience to endure. And also like, yeah. you could, I don't think she said this explicitly, but like she was clearly doing this for the survival of like, again, I think she talked about it maybe earlier, but like the survival of the coaching salaries, like the survival of the sport, the yeah. survival of yep. the, of the conveyor belt that other people talked about is yeah maybe threatening in some regard and also was like Mm -hmm. but for some sports that are on their last line like it could be the difference of having that sport in the olympics or not Mm -hmm. and so this this conflict of values that that you just mentioned Haley, of like how do i go and support myself versus like how do i want to help others and i i mean Mm -hmm. i know we talked about this earlier of like 
being able to be go into robot mode and just like just mm-hmm. like any emotion or feeling like that you know i say this to athletes all the time like there is no inherent good or bad of anything like being able to be in competition is and go into robot mode probably feels good you're not being phased you're focused like you know what you want to do and then also like it helps you if win it, if it helps you focus it helps you stay in the zone mm-hmm. great and then being a robot amongst humans is unhelpful right it's disconnecting mm-hmm. it's uh it's yeah not not a. it doesn't it doesn't help it's not useful it's unuseful yeah yeah so it's it's really hard watching you know these athletes grapple with the the really intense losses that they experience that they experience through their families or friends or fellow competitors but and then they they also frame it in you know in a series of of hope of like yes we've been through these things um, and hopefully that's where it's going to lead to is is better care, is better attention, is more awareness both for themselves and for potentially for people around, you know, around these sports. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so Shane and Haley, we're, we're not going to quit. We are going to retire. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think, you know, even though, um, you know, some of the criticism of this documentary is that it's really just sort of like an introductory piece to mm-hmm. this. Uh, huge issue. I think I would personally love to to hear more. I think you could expand something like this into, you know, ten episodes or, or a whole yeah. season of, you know, stories and 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 common experiences. But I think what we have is really useful in, in just sort of introducing the struggles that these people mm-hmm. are dealing with. Yeah. So I don't think it's fair for us to uh, to rate this on a scale of of entertaining or for that matter for for mental health accuracy because we're dealing with real people um, sharing their real stories. So it's certainly 100% accurate and authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did just want to get any, any closing thoughts, um, Haley or Shane. I loved the documentary um, because I love the way that it brought up so many topics. Like we didn't even get to like half the ones that we thought we would get to. Mm-hmm. And it was only 59 minutes and it told yep. a huge story. Right. So I say to everyone, like, go watch it and then kind of see how it applies to your personal identities and the way that you view your world and take some of the things that we said and, you know, replace sports with whatever your thing is and see if it fits for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it, I would love to see, you know, more, more stuff coming out. I think especially with Dr. Bartley leading the way for the for the mental health component at the USOPC. I think at the very least, if you, if you like sports, if if someone you know likes sports, if you if you're a fan of the Olympics, like you know, just even a casual fan, mm-hmm. like I think it's worth watching and really learning. Again, mm-hmm. that we're all human. We all go through mm-hmm. our stuff, and that. I think it's at least a really unique way of learning. How do we treat people, right? Like what is the, what is the way that we want to leave our legacy for people that we care about, people that we idolize and, and also expanding like, cause I, um, sorry, I guess realize, I just realized like nothing is ever short with me. Um, <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> um, I also don't want it to criminalize sports. 
Like, I think that's one of the things that like, yeah, all of the athletes sat there and were like, I love the sports. I love representing yeah. Team USA. I just want to make sure that like, I don't lose my health insurance, that I get paid enough to live, that I don't go into debt training, yeah. like, and really holding mm -hmm. a balance of both of those that like, sports are worth keeping and there's a lot to take from sports and apply to those other areas and yeah. life is so much more beyond that of the field of the pitch of the of the pool of the of yeah. uh, the track yeah we and we didn't talk about like that positive side right because this yeah. was like the struggles of sports but i've been to i think three olympics now and one world cup and the camaraderie right. of a sporting event like that and yeah. you know with your own country but also even with other people who are just there and and then if you even expand that to people who are watching it on TV like there's that camaraderie um and then these athletes are in it um and that it's such a wonderful like it's you know a lot of people were disappointed when things were canceled this year you know the athletes had built up for it and then it was taken away but a lot of us were like well shoot <laughs> so yeah there's there's that fun great side as well totally right so it's not the sport's fault but you know we even if we're not trying to to blame one party or the other i think it's it's definitely fair to say that as we said these are people these are humans um suffering in many ways just like us even if the the causes of their particular suffering are unique mm -hmm. to them so i hope for their sakes and and for ours that we can uh, continue to have these conversations. So Shane's thanks so much. Uh, is there anything um, out there in the world that you'd like people to check you out on or, or look you up anywhere? Yeah, thanks. Um, I've got a private practice in, in Davis, California. I'm, you know, I'm still taking clients, uh, doing telehealth. And so they can check out my website. It's just uh, uh, com, And they can, they can send me an email. Excellent. And we'll, um, we'll throw that in the description as well. Cool. All right. Well, Shane, thanks so much for joining us on, on today's episode. Um, Haley, we have some, um, some fun episodes. I know we've talked about coming up depending on cool. what order we release them. We've been all <laughs> over the place, but I know, uh, you know, definitely look out if you haven't already, please like, and subscribe the show. Um, lots of exciting things coming up. We've been talking about doing more Disney movies. Yep. I think we've got Soul coming up. Soul. And so one more time, thank you to uh, Dr. Shane Sines. Haley, thank you, of course, as well. And with that, hope you all have a good rest of your week. Thank you, Ryan. Bye. Bye.